Welcome to Energy Radio. This is episode 41, and today I'm uh, I'm joined with AJ Kochar of Lifecycle. Um, Lifecycle is on a mission to solve the global spent lithium-ion battery problem. Uh, AJ, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, great to be here, Matt. Thanks so much. Awesome. So let's just get right in. Why don't you talk to us? You have a, a background, uh, I think, in clean tech and energy, and you used to be uh, one of us as a consultant. So uh, yeah. <laughs> talk to us about your background and what, what brings you to co-found uh, Lifecycle, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, chemical engineer by background uh, and used to work at a firm in Hatch, uh, global engineering firm headquartered here in Canada, but very focused, you know, on metallurgy and a few other areas, other industries as well. But our background, the two co-founders of Lifecycle, myself and Tim Johnston was really in the metallurgical space. And so, you know, what we were working on were really hydro metallurgical facilities that produce battery grade materials as well as other materials that go you know, into the economy. And lithium uh, you know, was one segment and one material where we had a lot of growth. You know, from the late uh, close to 2010 you know, and beyond, and all driven by batteries. Mm. Lithium has gone through uh, a large demand profile change, and a lot of that has to do with the demand being driven by Lithium batteries, rechargeable lithium batteries, and all sorts of applications, and particularly electric vehicle batteries. And on recycling, you know, we were getting asked, you know, here and there in two different spheres. You know, one, what is going to happen to all these batteries in the life? That's a pretty logical question. And the other part of it is around critical material supply and, and demand. So, mm. you know, in the backdrop of all this demand, you have each of these different materials in batteries, lithium, nickel, cobalt, much more, that are going through these pretty tough changes and growth to try and keep up with the demand. And so we were getting asked, hey, when are we gonna start seeing more recycled materials coming back into new batteries, but didn't see that path. So that was really the impetus for us to you know, leave uh, our careers as consultants and, and start doing this. And I think the aha moment, just to close that out was, Really around the lithium piece as well. You know, we we were again entering these projects and helping clients invest all these resources and time and energy to build plants to make lithium chemicals. And then when we looked into the recycling of it, it's been the case that a lot of batteries have ended up in thermal treatment. And the result of that is that a lot of light components like lithium get either volatilized or directed into solid waste. So then we basically figured out that actually there's little to no um, recovery of lithium at all uh, from lithium ion batteries traditionally. And that was very <laughs> unsatisfactory, uh, you know, for us. We said on that basis, we can do something here. Hmm. Uh, let's jump in. And that's when Lifecycle was born. That was four years ago. Wednesday was our fourth anniversary. Wow. Happy anniversary. Cool. Thanks. Very, yeah. very cool. And so you, before we go too far, you use a term in there that I think you used it twice that I'm not picking up on. Lithmine, is that right? Yeah, lithium ion. And sorry, I guess oh. we, we okay. say the words probably. Uh, okay. Say. Yeah, so rechargeable lithium ion batteries. Lithium. Okay, cool. Awesome. And phones and electric vehicles. Gotcha. Okay. And so really the genesis here four years ago is and probably you know the the seed is planted before that but do i understand correctly that you're dealing with clients and you're seeing 
uh, a problem or you're seeing a potential problem on the horizon and you and your co-founder, you're responding and you're saying, hey, there's going to be a need or there is a need. Let's fill that need. Is that kind of the from an entrepreneurial kind of business perspective? Is that the genesis here? Yeah, that's right. And we often get that question, like, is it pull or is it push, you know, in terms of the market uh, response? So the genesis was really uh, the way you ended, which is really, you know, the future need. And right. it's pretty easy to figure out because you just take all the batteries that are being manufactured today, which is growing at an outsized pace, lag it, and that's what's going to be, you know, needed to be recycled in five years, 10 years, 15 years, right? So that's very evident. But as we delved in the space and we actually commercialized, you know, innovative technology and have commercialized, we're now the largest recycler of these batteries in North America. It actually is very much the pull, which is interesting. And one of the things we've often heard from people is even when we started the business was, you know, Hey guys, you're too early. <laughs> you know, like electric vehicles are just starting to really proliferate. So this is going to be an issue for, you know, 10 years, but we can't forget, you know, that, you know, there's lift my batteries around us in everyday lives and cell phones and laptops and the like. That's one source. But also, as you make all these new batteries, it kicks off uh, production scrap. So, you know, 5%, 10% of what's made isn't usable because it doesn't pass quality tests or whatever it is. And that's actually a lot of material. But today, that's a big pull. And you got to be set up now before that tsunami hits uh, five, 10 years from now as well. Wow. So let's talk before we get into the nuts and bolts of, of how it works. So let's talk a bit more then about the, the, the market forces. I mean, is there, there's a kind of a couple tranches in terms of, you know, where we are using, you know, lithium ion batteries in, in our society today. Are there some general categories that are, are driving this, this industry and ultimately driving your role in it? Yeah, great question. Yeah, so just taking a step back, you know, rechargeable lithium-ion batteries are used in almost everything: AirPods, you know, wireless headphones, to, to, you know, laptops, cell phones, tablets, your lawnmower, your Roomba at home, your your vacuum cleaner. So that's kind of the household appliances and the bucket we call consumer electronics and appliances. Right. And then you have just call it mobility. Uh, you know, this is where a lot of people are well aware of the growth, that's electric vehicles. But the thing to remember in that segment is also, it's not just passenger vehicles, which is a big source of the growth. They also have the same batteries being used in electric buses. Mm. Let's also not forget about uh, commercial, industrial uh, applications, trucks, uh, mining equipment. So, you know, there's a whole segment there, mobility, it's very broad. And say, down the other end, micromobility, you know, last summer was the summer of the electric scooter, all with my battery powered, right? So again, around us in everyday lives. And then lastly, you know, a big segment, just to bucket it again, is you could call it stationary storage. So your, you know, residential storage, getting a power wall for your home, whatever it might be, could be beside a utility, large scale installations of lithium ion batteries. That's a big segment. And this is kind of the exciting piece of it, but then the further reason why we need you know, good solutions and of life. There's even future generation, you know, batteries mm. and applications. You know, you look at flying taxis, it's going to sound crazy, but it's a next generation technology of a lithium battery that will enable that. So mm. 
around us in everyday lives and it's not changing. It's only growing. And and did I understand you correctly that really there's kind of if you think of the broad life cycle of uh, a lithium ion battery, there's when I think of battery recycling, I think about it in terms of what we're going to do when that battery is no good. When my you know my iPhone is 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 you know reached end of life, where does that go? How does that get dealt with? But did I understand that you're also kind of then, you know, coming back and saying, well, hey, even though you figured out the front end of that life cycle, that's a finite resource and we're on the back end, but we can help you on the front end, hence the recycling piece. Maybe it's obvious to most people, but kind of just, I think you talked about two real drivers and maybe one is more than the other right now, but just kind of double down on that piece of where you guys fit in the life cycle. Yeah, great question. And you know, when people think about, yeah, just you know, take a step back and we'll dig into our market. When people think about other types of recycling, plastics recycling, tire recycling. These industries all have very different drivers. And I think one place where people's thoughts go when they think circular economy right away is, oh, maybe today it is the case that we take batteries from somebody, recover materials, and sell the materials back to that same party. Well, that's the potential future state for our industry. But today, it's a really large supply chain. And actually is the case that we're really dealing with two separate customers today. And that should change in the future. But it is the case today that we really have battery supply customers and then we make product and we sell that product on the market. So let me double down on that. So, so in the battery supply customer space, so who are we dealing with? Well, I gave that whole gamut of all these different applications of batteries. Those are our customers. The manufacturers of those batteries, uh, the actual makers of the product, et cetera. Now, also we're dealing with, for example, groups that aggregate, sort, different types of waste, different types of batteries, and then get a lithium ion stream. And that's also a big supplier for us. So as an example, uh, maybe somebody has a device or a battery they want to drop off in a bin, and you go to Home Depot or Best Buy. There is a program or companies that actually run those programs, collect, sort, and then that's what comes to us. So, so that's you know that's kind of our funnel in. And you know what's driving that? You know it's it depends, but it's usually kind of it's a balance between commercial needs. So people are trying to solve this in a very economically most viable fashion. So whether that's about getting a better solution that's lower cost, or eventually getting some value for these batteries, that's obviously a big driver. But also we're seeing in many jurisdictions as well, clear regulations around who's responsible mm. at the end of life. And in Ontario, for example, here, and this is happening in Europe, it's been that way for a while, China, it's very clear that the producers of those batteries are responsible fiscally to ensure that they get, uh, I won't use the word disposed, but recycled or back to the economy in the appropriate way. So that's the credit. And and how is that? I mean, do we? I don't even know this, but do we pay when we buy something like a phone or a electric vehicle? Do we pay a premium, and then they kind of hold that money, and they 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 pay somebody on the back end, to, like you, to make sure it gets disposed of? Like commercially, how does that happen? Yeah, it's a good question, and that's that is a model. Uh, like, so for example, when you buy an electric vehicle, the warranty is actually what's helping cover. These events, right? So let me use that. Okay. Right. So, 
So say I have a Chevrolet Bolt, I'm just gonna choose an example. You have a warranty on that, you have a problem with the vehicle, the battery, you take it back to the dealer, they take out the battery or they help replace it. So now that's your problem solved, that's covered by the warranty. But that's where our service starts, as an right. example. So we would help to coordinate to pick that up and the costs they've they've basically taken in via the warranty helps to cover that. Okay. So that's today. And then in the broader segment, you know, like cell phone devices and similar, less organized. Uh, you have a combo of things happening. Sometimes it's a fee that's been charged up front that does follow its way through. Sometimes it's voluntary producers helping to make sure that things get collected through nonprofit programs. And you also have just those doing it for profit. That there is actual value in collecting, sorting, moving material. There are people that, you know, companies that do that as well. Okay. So and, and that's because in your cycle, you can sell your finished product. So you can pay for it as an input cost? That's a very good question. This kind of segues into the output and then how this is all changing. So before we came along and there's been a change in this industry, it's been the norm that, you know, recyclers are more, more like a waste company and then have expected to get paid to make their activity work. Right. right. What that ignores is that there's really valuable materials in these batteries, lithium, nickel, cobalt, much more that can be recovered. So I'll get into what we do later, but that's our approach is really helping to value what the materials are within and at larger scales. Yeah. That means that we can actually provide value for those batteries. And that's a big change uh, in this market. And to your point, the way we can do that is we're recovering, making products that are of the same grade, if not more than mined and refined material. And we're selling those today back to new users of those materials. And that's how we you know, drive an economically sustainable business as well. Right, right. So what happens if my phone and its battery doesn't make it to you? Like, I mean, if, if it doesn't stay in the, the ecosystem, you know, paint us the worst case scenario of, you know, and, and maybe it's a 50 year story, but what, 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 what are you helping avoid in terms of uh, if this goes, I don't know, does it go to landfill? And like, what, what's the worst case scenario if it doesn't make its way through your process uh, and gets recycled? The worst case scenario is, and this is actually happening, unfortunately, today, and it's what we're helping avoid. So let me use an example, like our smartphones, now the battery in there, you might've noticed the past few years, it's like in there, glued. Like you can't access the battery, right? Unless you go to a repair shop. Whereas you might remember before, some years ago, you had the replaceable batteries in there. And the reason why, you know, manufacturers have gone to that is because it's waterproof. It's also to prevent the safety angle. If you listen to the apples of the world, that's the kind of rationale around it. But that's the reality. And so now, me as a consumer, I have this phone or device with a battery in it. What happens is actually people don't know that there's other homes for these things to go and they shouldn't be, but they're throwing them in the garbage or the general recycling. And what's happening uh, in increasing amounts is they're going into supply chains where they shouldn't be. So now imagine you put this on your curbside, it's picked up in a truck. Well, what's happening in that that whole chain, well, it's getting compacted at some point, right? Whether in the truck or at the point it reaches a, a materials recovery facility called MRFs, 
it's getting compacted. And what happens then? It short circuits. And when it short circuits, these batteries catch on fire uh, and what's all around it, fuel. Uh -huh. And so what you're seeing happening, unfortunately, around the US and other parts of the world are these fires that are occurring at these facilities. And that's, you know, from a safety angle, that's horrible. Um, but we just can't have that happen, you know, because it's just not sustainable. So that's, you know, one of the worst features. Uh, and not to mention that if these things do eventually make it in to a landfill or other places, there's nickel cobalt in these batteries and much more, which are toxic, you know, for humans and, and the environment, along with a whole swath of other things in the battery that should not be you know, allowed to get into our environment at all. So okay. that's where helping avoid. Yeah, so um, I, I was anticipating that second case where, hey, it, it makes its way into the landfill, it breaks down over time, and my grandkids are drinking water that's crappier than I was drinking because, you know, it shows. But you're saying that, yes, that's one terrible story, but there's this short-circuit combustion part. Uh, yeah. That's I did not expect that. That's That's fascinating. And so do you have a... And, and I think, you know, we're maybe similar ages. And so we remember probably the, the you know, the three R's of recycling when we were going to school. And that was kind of the, the blue box program. And that was kind of all coming of age in the you know, late 80s, early 90s kind of thing. Is there an awareness piece here that, that, that maybe it's not your purview, but maybe there's an industry? Like, is there those of you who are in this space? It sounds like there's a real need to drive awareness for you know people like me who maybe are not aware in terms of what yeah. we need to be doing with this kind of stuff, right? Yep, yep. No, it's a great point, and that's you know that's the partners that we work with that run these programs to actually collect, mm -hmm. and it's it's not easy, right? That that takes a lot of time. I mean, I'll cite a country that I think does it really well: Belgium. You know, oh. down to, uh, you know, primary school level, they get education on battery recycling and all sorts of other recycling too. But from a very young age in other countries, they're familiar that, hey, you have this type of battery and even types of batteries and where they go. And, you know, in Belgium, broadly in Europe, they have very good collection rates, but in Belgium, I think it's one of the highest at 50, 60% of batteries. Wow. Are, yeah, which is huge. Keeping in mind, yeah. for like America, we might be 5, 10%. Really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Huh. So let's get down to kind of how does this work? Like what, you know, a bunch of batteries show up at your shop floor yeah. and, you know, is it, is there AJ there with a screwdriver, you know, you know, pulling everything apart and like walk me from a high level. How do you, you know, is it a mechanical? Is it a chemical? Like what are you guys doing to the extent that you can share, you know, what, what are you doing in terms of what does it come in as? How do you deal with it? What are you sending it out as? Are there different streams? Just walk us through that. Let's get down to the bug dust a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And before that, just to help paint the picture, and this will help to elucidate why what we're doing is different. You know, basically, in short, batteries till date have been going to nickel uh, smelters, basically you know, traditional facilities that mine and extract and then refine materials but from you know the earth and so these battery materials have been basically a secondary additive for them to bring in more nickel or cobalt to kind of balance things out okay so that's actually if you trace it and we know this because you know we're now commercial and moving material that's really where materials are going now the issue with that and then what we're changing and i'll explain what we do is 
you lose a lot of the material that way. So through that chain, you lose about 50% plus of what's in it. You don't recover things like lithium. Uh, lithium gets either uh, volatilized into the air or it goes into a solid waste stream and other components too. So, so that's why that's not the most ideal way forward for the future. And you know, you have the automakers of the world, the battery manufacturers, everyone's kind of recognized us. We need better innovation in the space. So that helps to set the scene. Now, what we do is to jump into it, it's a spoken hub model. It's a mechanical and chemical uh, process. So the big difference is we don't do anything thermal. Uh, and so mm. in the spoke process, before I explain that, why spoken hub? It helps to solve simply one of the big issues in this industry, which is also logistics. So as you can probably imagine, you know, transporting batteries and 55 gallon drums, or large electric vehicle batteries that are the whole chassis of the vehicle around the world, probably not the most sustainable thing from a cost perspective nor environmental. Right. So, right. so our model is folks that are regional mechanical plants that take in batteries, break them down safely, and then centralized um, hub or hubs that take in that intermediate material and then go back to battery grade chemicals. So that's kind of the framing of uh, the technology and the business model. Within this folks, what's actually happening? We have an existing operation in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. We're building a second one in Rochester, New York, actually being ramped up this month. And then we have more spokes on route. Third one likely in Nevada, the US, and other parts of the world. So what are we doing? We receive, just to break it down simply, we receive what I'd call small format batteries. So that consumer appliance kind of segment, uh, laptop batteries, cell phone batteries. Those are sorted. They come to us in 55 gallon drums. And that's today about 60% roughly of our uh, supply. We also get large format batteries. So electric vehicle batteries, energy storage, production scrap, which comes from the making of new batteries. And mainly that production scrap component makes up the latter 40% mm. of our uh, supply today. So that comes to us in everything from a large pack. Like the largest we've received now is out of a bus. And that was 7,500 kilograms for one battery pack. Wow. So we, we do get in vape, <laughs> uh, vapes with, uh, you know, lithium batteries in them and AirPods, like the really small form factors. Um, and what we're doing in our spoke is it's shredding. So we're shredding those batteries. And the secret sauce and a lot of the innovation is really predicated around safety. It's how do you do that in a safe fashion without, as I was citing, those thermal events, as we call them in industry. Right. And to do it scalably without a lot of manual intervention. You made a joke, you know, as I there with a screwdriver, you know, trying to take apart the batteries. No, it's how do you do this in a way that is scalable uh, with the very minimal human intervention. So as an example, we get a big pack like that 7,500 ton, sorry, a kilogram uh, pack that I mentioned. We go down to modules in that large pack. There's collections of the battery cells, and that's called a module, and that is could be very large. Uh, another example, in a Tesla Model 3, the modules are the length of the vehicle. There's wow. modules in the chassis of the vehicle, and those modules have collections of what we know as the battery cells, just like the ones in our, our phones and similar, but in different form factors. So that full module is what goes right into our process, as is 
minimal labor input, automated thereafter, and fully charged. So part of the innovation is how we prevent fire. And then out what comes, and then I'll pause on the spoke, is three different phases. We produce plastics, uh, which is a light density uh, plastics primarily. That goes back to plastics to fuel or in plastic lumber. So that's a big innovation. Historically, before we came along, everyone burned off plastics in our industry, which you can't do, right? You know, long-term. Um, second, we make uh, a phase of metals, so copper and aluminum. We sell that for the metal value. It goes back into new products. And then third is the cathode anode material uh, from the battery, which looks like a black powder. Go figure, very uh, creative industry. It's called black mass. Uh, <laughs> 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 that appearance. So that's the third phase, and I'll pause there. And that's the really, really valuable material because it has your lithium, your nickel, your cobalt in it, and a lot. So I'll pause there on this spoke for any questions. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, you know, to, to repeat that back to you, what I'm hearing is you have, you know, you have nonprofit groups, for profit groups, you have people doing the really out there kind of collection. You have a whole bunch of means, but basically it shows up as, you know, some version of a finished product and you're putting it in some big Vitamix blender of some kind and you're beating the snot out of it. Um, talk to me. I want to understand that piece. And then it's like there's, you're separating three streams and I'm curious to how you're doing that. And to the extent that you can share either of them, you know, is, is it purely just beating the snot out of it? And then there's some kind of physical separation. Walk us through those two discrete steps in a, a bit more detail if you can. Yeah, for sure. And so, so it is shredding. Uh, when I say shredder, don't think like a paper shredder, like the one you have at home. Think a 16 foot tall machine. Cool. <laughs> cool. But, uh, yeah. That, cause it, now imagine because it's in that big dimension, like model three dimension or bus pack uh, module, like these are big collections of batteries, right? So, that's what goes full in. It is simultaneous to getting shredded, but also in, in the kind of the innovation and the IP is all around how we do that safely, but also how do you liberate the materials, meaning separate them um, simultaneously. Because in the battery, again, very technical word, it's usually called a jelly roll <laughs> for the way that it's made, which is basically the collection of the cathode anode. You have a separator in there. It's all rolled and kind of tight. So there's a lot of challenge, and that's when we had to innovate and scale up, because now we're commercial, but it took these three, four years to get there. How to actually separate that very efficiently, but in one step, but also manage all the safety components. So that's you know the innovation around the shredder. And then from there, the way we actually separate things is mainly physical. Um, it's, uh, it's through screening, we have solid liquid separation. Um, these are automated. Uh, mainly physical related mechanical operations. Okay. That safety piece, you, you talked about the short circuit and the flammable material and the fires. Are you avoiding that or you're containing it or you're like, how do you manage that? Avoiding it. Avoiding, avoiding it. it. Yeah. Really? So, so what we're doing is we're depriving the environment where it gets torn apart of oxygen. There's uh -huh. numerous ways to do that. You can do it using a gas, which is out there. You can also, I've seen, we've seen people freeze batteries, which is expensive uh, cryogenically. And then what we do is actually a, a wet process. So actually it's immersed. This is in our pattern actually. Um, and yeah, so that actually has a couple of multi-functions where it's absorbing energy into a heat sink. Yes. 
electrolyte, it's getting a little more technical, but in the battery, you have different components that get released into that. That then allows us to lock those components up and then later on physically separate the, the solid materials from the liquid. And then we recirculate and reuse that liquid in the spoke facility. And part of the things we've had to work out, and it wasn't always this way as we were scaling up, it's very iterative, right? Uh, is how to also have zero discharge of liquids. Right. So that's another thing we've managed to do. Kingston facility is no wastewater. None of our spokes have any uh, liquid discharge now. And that comes to then how everything fits together. So there's one aspect of, okay, apparatus innovation around how do you actually do this in a step and manage all these different things. But then after that, how do you manage this as part of a, an industrial facility, right? Uh, and I said the add-on things are back to your point about safety. For us, the shredder and everything thereafter is like the safest point in our operation because it's been engineered out. The things where we're very, very careful and we got to develop a whole bunch of procedures around it is probably the more mundane things, which might sound boring, but it's a storage of batteries. How do batteries get transported? What are the, the ways that that must happen? Why do we store in a certain way? Uh, what's the density of that? What's they have different battery types being separated from each other. So I won't go into too much depth, but that's actually where the safety piece, you know, as important, but where we're even more attentive, I'd say, because there's a, a need there to really prevent, uh, you know, any sort of uh, potential event. And that's that's why we're getting a lot of traction because we've taken the time to innovate that full end-to-end -end safety profile, and that's just so important for our customers, right? They People don't want to say, hey, I'm going to send you these batteries and, okay, you're going to do something with it. And I don't want to know. No right, problem. right. Really want to know. We get audited. You know, they come to our facilities. And so that whole package is just so, so important. Cool, cool. Okay, so so you have this you have this shredder. It's immersed. You're, you're quelching the fire uh, or you're starving it from oxygen. You have this separation. Then you get this uh, black mass. Uh, talk to us about the hub. Yeah, for sure. So this is really, the hub is really the component where we're going back to the battery grade materials. Okay. The input simply is the black mass. And we often get the question, well, how much loss, have, how much mass have you lost by the time you get there? Black mass is roughly about half of the battery mass. So the other things, the plastics, the copper, aluminum, that's about 50% of the mass gone. The black mass is then easier to transport. Literally pack, you know, picture just bulk bags large white bags, one ton each of this material, and that's the form it gets transported. So much easier to handle, uh, safe, et cetera. And so at the hub, that's the input, and the outputs are lithium, nickel, cobalt, manganese, and much more battery-grade chemicals that can go back into, so that word battery-grade, can go back into a new lithium-ion battery again. Hmm. And this is the really important, and when people think circular economy, this is the really unlocking step for that. So the business today, just to kind of relate where we are today and then where we're going, we have the two spoke facilities, Kingston, Ontario, Rochester, New York, and we've run in the past four years, very uh, you know, intensive multi-step, you know, starting at a very small scale, then a mini pilot, then a pilot, and a demonstration. Uh, this hub technology, which is really hydro-metallurgical, or like chemistry. Um, and now we're on this path where we've done all that, and we're right in the midst of 
the later getting into detailed engineering uh, for the hub facility. And we've announced it's public. We're going to be building that in Rochester, New York as well. Why Rochester? It's the old Kodak uh, business park. So oh, yeah. Okay. Chemical infrastructure. Yeah. So that's where we're going. But, but the point I want to emphasize is that this is really what the industry needs. Because what it's also been what's lacking. Because when we look at the Apples of the world, the Teslas of the world, Googles, et cetera, all these groups, when they're thinking about their supply chain and they're thinking about, okay, how can I get more recycled materials in? These are ultimately the forms that they need to go into their supply chain to start to actually affect them. And that's the big step and transformation that we're helping to affect. Because often I think the knock, and, and we come at this from an energy perspective, you know, lithium ion batteries were, you know, really um, sexy technology when, you know, we started to look at, you know, we got a lot of wind, we got a lot of solar, we have intermittent power supply, and how do we store that? Well, the obvious choice is a whole bunch of shipping containers full of lithium-ion batteries and a whole market built out. But you have certain uh, individuals and, and developers and, and, and clients, and Toyota was one, for example. I remember walking into a meeting years ago with Toyota, and they said, um, okay, but do you know the emissions profile that it takes to get that lithium out of the ground, you know, in China and so, or wherever it's coming from, it's a very typically carbon intensive. And so if you, if you look at the life cycle of that battery, yes, you're taking energy out of the wind or the sun and you're doing that in a good way, but you're storing it into something that opens you up to this carbon emissions profile. And so Yes, the economics are very attractive and, you know, it, it fits a technical need and there's all these benefits, but it's got this kind of blemish on it. And so it strikes me that you're giving an opportunity to that market to at least mitigate, you know, the impact of that blemish. Is that right? Hugely so. Yeah, yeah hugely yeah. so. So I was getting really into the weeds around our technology, but taking a step back again. That, so as an example, you know, in a vehicle, uh, and this goes same for if you're using a stationary storage application. You know, the battery, if you look at the greenhouse gas front of the vehicle, I've seen this data from a number of manufacturers, the battery is usually 40 to 50% of the greenhouse wow. gas emission footprint of an electric vehicle. Now, wow. obviously, net net, still much better than an internal combustion engine vehicle, way better. And, and anyway, you cut it. There's a whole bunch of studies that didn't look at that. So there's no argument about that, and there shouldn't be. But the question is, how can you continue to drive down the footprint of that vehicle, right? So this is where you, you delve into the battery piece. And then to your point, you know, you know, as a analog, you know, I think the lithium, the nickel, and cobalt in that in that battery, when they come from mining, it almost has like frequent flyer points. I mean, like it goes from you know Chile to China or Japan to be refined into a cathode, and then it gets made into a battery, and then it's over to the U.S. again. I mean, it's it's crazy when you look at that supply chain. So it's no surprise. That's you know footprint. So we look at what we do, and it, I think the point is you have so much demand that we do need mining, and you do need these primary sources. So it has to be sustainable. But recycling is a nice additive, second, never before been a significant contributor to these supply chains. And we've we've looked at this, and on a per unit basis, you know, say we take a ton of batteries and we send everything we do back to the, the economy and to batteries again. We can reduce the greenhouse gas footprint of that vehicle 
75 to 85%. Wow. Wow. That's a huge drop. And that's what you need to really start to try and affect that change. So this is actually why you see the auto manufacturers, even recently, I'd say paying a lot more attention to this end of the chain. Uh, but these things are all you know, cumulative. It takes time. We need to start now and scale as the industry grows. But this is kind of the net net value proposition that we also bring as an industry right, to the table. That's what right. better information that have lower footprint. And it, it, am I right to understand that if, as you scale up, are there elements of that front end lithium supply chain that you know don't exist in North America? Like, for example, do you get to a point where you're creating so much lithium, nickel, and cobalt? that there's a refining step that maybe doesn't happen currently in North America and it's now being generated in such volumes in North. Like, is that, is that going to come as well? Is that how you're going to dr- drive this? That's a huge, that's a huge question. A very important question. It's this really on the topic of, of localized supply chains. And the short answer is yes. And, and yeah, you look at any of these materials, lithium, nickel, cobalt, like why do we always focus on those? Because those are the ones that are really what are needed, of course, to make the battery work. But also they haven't seen in this battery segment, you know, it's not you know, material in the earth that goes into a battery, it's like refined chemicals. So each one of those has had to grow you know, very substantially and has a lot more to go. But the end result of that is that you have these hotspots of activity. And so lithium, for example, is very predominantly you know, produced in Chile. Some in Argentina coming up and Australia is raw material. And then you have a ton of conversion happening in China. So that, that supply chain. Uh, cobalt, 60, 70% comes out of the Congo. Mm, wow. And, you know, the unfortunate thing associated with that, which is again, we're, it's another thing just to layer on. Uh, unfortunately, there's been child labor that's been proven to be associated with that. So you see the large brands trying to distance themselves from that supply chain uh, as they should be. Um, and nickel, you know, nickel, massive market, but you have a segment that's specific for batteries, which has never. Mm. So each one of these is trying to grow. They're growing in specific places because that's where it's been happening and is going to continue to grow. But there's this seismic shift, like just from a very high level, happening in our economy, right? We're now at the point with electric vehicles where it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, who, where. And so that means that in our new economy, you know, the batteries and the materials within them are so critical. And the, the U.S., for example, and, and Canada is a bit more of a prominence in terms of you know, mining, but take North America, we have little to no production of refined lithium chemicals, refined cobalt chemicals, refined nickel chemicals. We do have some you know, nickel cobalt mining up on the Canada side and some key parties that do that. But beyond some of these more historical assets, the battery push has not been commensurate, definitely to that of China definitely to that of you know Europe. So, so this is the question, right? How do you get a localized supply chain? And in our COVID world, right, where supply chains can get disrupted, they're getting increasingly localized. So how do you do that? Well, you have to tap into the urban mine. Mm. You can't just be relying, you have to develop definitely on the mining side, but the urban mining piece needs to come with it because that's the resource we have and the resource that you have localized to actually produce. And that's the bigger picture shift that we're helping to affect around the world. Wow. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating 
uh, MBA case study, right? Of, uh, you know, there's so many aspects to this in terms of supply chain, in terms of local economies, in terms of global economies, in terms of, you know, creating value. It's just, uh, it, it's, it, it's fascinating. So, so what's, what's next for you guys? I mean, where are you at? I think you mentioned you're in final engineering or you're, you're building out in Rochester or, you know, where are you at in terms of your four year journey and what the next 18 months are looking like for you guys? Great question. Yeah. So, I'll, I'll split up into two. So the, the big focus right now is on this large hub facility in Rochester, New York. We're making, it's going to be $175 million plus investment into that facility. And it's going to be taking 25,000 tons of black mass per year input. So just to give a bit of scale or a sense check on that, like how much is that? You know, that's, it's a lot of iPhones, right? It's a lot of yeah. iPhones. Yeah, so that's about 60,000 tons of batteries or 60 million kilograms of batteries. Also the equivalent of about 180,000 equivalent electric vehicles. So this is going to be quite large. Um, now, why that size? Because we've seen in the market that, you know, obviously there's this large quantity of batteries we're seeing it in our everyday business, but it's happening all around the world. And people are trying to do something and they're making something like black mass. But what's lacking is also the homes then for that to be refined. So that's the reason why we're going that scale. And we're getting this demand pull from the consumers of those chemicals that want thousands of tons per year of these chemicals from a recycled source. So that's the sizing and very good uptake on that. And now we're right in the, the weeds of execution. So as you mentioned and I indicated before, there's the engineering piece, there's permitting, uh, working closely with the state. And so that will come on, on track in the next uh, two years. We're going to be ramping up mm. construction breaking ground next year and ramping up uh, thereafter. But, you know, this is a big shift. I mean, you know, around our world, the real destinations for this material have been, you know, one site in Canada that's a traditional nickel smelter. You have another uh one, two parties in Europe that have taken this material. But outside of that and outside of Asia, there's really been limited to no homes for this to really help close the loop. So that's a big step for us and a big step for the industry. And the last thing I'll say just in terms of what's up next for us is really the international piece. You know, we are, you know, right now life cycle is about almost 70 people, growing over hundred by early next year. Wow. Two commercial operations. And so we have teams that are really focused on North America, but we have also growing teams in Europe uh, and Asia, uh, which continue to need to grow. And our modus operandi in the second piece is really partnership. We're working with groups in Europe and various regions, China, ex-China, to deploy our technology through partnership, mainly focused on those folks, because that's the model here, regionalize those facilities and get them out close to where batteries are, and to make this intermediate material that's safe and that can be transported to our hub or future regional hubs and then eventually go back into battery grade chemicals. So we're really focused on that too, uh, firing in all cylinders. But we got to keep in mind here, you know, as I mentioned, 70 plus people, there's a lot of things to do. <laughs> Big part of this challenge is always just keeping focused on the plan and that's how we are, trying to make sure that we're where we can be, um, but also not spreading ourselves you know, too thin as well. So. Right, right. Yeah, and, and you know, to, to build out a new plant like that, you know, that's gonna, 
there's going to be some some infancy you know issues in those you know early days right as you build it out and get it up and running and, um it's, it, so, it sounds like there'll be a lot of eyes on you uh in rochester new york uh come the next two years right so what's the um what's the limit on your growth is it is it the spokes is it the hubs my sense is it's the spokes yeah the good question um no, I'd say the limit on our growth is really just ability to act quick enough. I think that's okay. really, I mean, which then comes back to, you know, capacity and resourcing and, you know, we're all capitalized and, you know, we put some news out there, you know, regarding our, our backers and we're very fortunate in that regard, but that's really it. And then, and then, you know, as time goes on you know, we have to continue to, and we will continue to find that balance between you know, partnership and capital light uh, methods of executing versus where we want to play a role for sure ourselves, which is really the hub end. Um, and then making sure those things continue to evolve in lockstep. Uh, and so, yeah, no, I'd say more of the, the, the key rate limiting step is really just how quickly we can, we can move. Get, get, getting shit done, as we would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do yeah, you see this? This this is this is a left maybe a left field question, but do you see that spoke model as kind of like a, an analog to the franchising model? Like, do you see something there where you're are you are you, are you having people license your uh, technology, or is that a service they provide to you, or how do you you mentioned that partnership phrase a little bit? Yeah, great question. I mean, you know, we've looked around at this and and gone back and forth on different models or iterated as time goes on, but you know, I think. Our base case, the way that we've been looking at this, and it's how we're typically partnering, is more like joint ventures or okay. partnership. Um, but really ensuring that we have some role typically on the ground, because you know it's a little bit different than you know, licensing software or similar. So there's a lot of things that you know we want to make sure that we're there to help with, and if people took that as a positive, I think, because you know, we're really skin in the game. Um, now in the future. You know, we have a plan for 20 spokes in the next five years and uh, four hubs globally in the next five, six years. So very ambitious and aggressive plans. Um, you know, I, I think as we get towards the tail end of that, we could see that model evolve. Uh, maybe, you know, we're talking about the seventh or eighth iteration. And yeah, maybe that starts to make more sense. But I think in these earlier days for the industry, there's just so much know flux and, and it's new what we're doing obviously and and we have the expertise and uh it's important that we retain involvement so yeah and that i mean that I, I, it's not an area i know very well but my sense is that the more involvement you can have you know at various stages in the supply chain you know the the better control you know you're going to have of how it's how it's converted and the quality you know that's coming into your hubs and it just, you know, particularly in the early stages, it sounds like that's that's a, a, a really uh, wise way to kind of manage for success, right? Yeah. yeah Very exactly. cool. Very cool. Good. Well, uh, AJ, this has been delightful. I, uh, I I I really didn't know where where this would go, and and uh, but uh, pleasantly surprised and uh, really really excited. I mean, it's it's fun to have a conversation about something that. Uh, affects all of us, right? All of us have a cell phone. I mean, literally, I, I don't know somebody who doesn't know us all have a cell phone. And so at some point, we must be thinking to ourselves, what's going to happen? So 
my hope is that through this conversation and and now me as a as an ambassador on your behalf, we can continue to uh, to raise the awareness for you know asking the questions of what's going to happen to that when it's done or you know what is where can I send this so it does uh, end up in the right place and I could be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So. Uh, really appreciate uh, your time with us uh, this morning and uh, appreciate you sharing with us your journey and, and the way you guys are making this world a better place. Um, how can people find you or find an organization that's promoting what you're doing or you know, point us to some, some links or some places where we can learn more? Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Matt. And, and so I have two kind of parting remarks, you know, one on your Please. point there and then kind of a closing one. So yeah, so where you can find us, uh, lifecycle.com, li-cycle.com. We have a great video that we put out in October. We try to be very, you know, transparent and up to date with our material. So maybe folks followed my spoken hub explanation or not, and but you know that's a way to put some eyes on it and really see what I'm I'm talking about um, and where we're going. And so that's where you can find us. Um, my my second point is just you know, more broadly and for the space. So yeah, so you know what can people do? to really help make a change here and make an impact in everyday life. You know, I think we all have probably drawerfuls of, at least I used to, you know, old devices at home and cell phones and tablets, whatever it might be. So you can, you know, in your everyday life, you can make a change by taking that to your local Home Depot, Best Buy, uh, to drop them off. And there usually are boxes there, you know, where you can do that. And if they don't have one, you can also do your part by asking why they don't. Mm. <laughs> Uh, you know why why don't they have one so that's another way that people can really you know help affect change but but i think so that's something you can do and the, the last thing i'd say is you know i think we've seen a lot of uh commentary out there in our industry where people think about electric vehicles and it's the same technology battery technology in those vehicles they say oh well you know evs really are they as good for the environment what's going to happen to the batteries they're just going to go in landfill oh it's just another problem that's been created we're here as a case study and you can look at our website and follow us we're here as a case study to show that that will not happen and this is a true business and it is on the path to being circular we're doing it today and i think that might have had legs some years ago but you know if that's what's hindering you from buying electric vehicle uh, it shouldn't be and i really encourage people to get in one experience the instantaneous torque the acceleration just drive safely but it's a totally different experience and we have to do our part to continue to be champions of that. So I just wanted to close with that, Matt, and thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure being on. Thank you, AJ. And you've, you've converted at least one person today. So uh, in terms of that, the, the story. So I appreciate you being on. It's been fun. Um, on behalf of Energy Radio, uh, this is uh, episode 41 with uh, AJ from Lifecycle. I want to thank you for listening. On behalf of myself and Lisa Barber, Mark Charbonneau, uh, it's been a pleasure. And until next time, uh, stay safe and we'll talk again soon.